Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 749 with Dr. Tom Curran. If you ever struggle with perfectionism, or you've been told that you do, or you know someone who does, Tom brings the goods. He's one of the leading researchers in the topic of perfectionism. He is a behavioral psychologist with deep expertise, and he's got a lot of practical gems to share with us, including one, why perfectionism is not correlated with performance. Two, the self-limiting beliefs that underlie perfectionism, and three, some tools to combat perfectionism. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we mentioned here, please pay us a visit at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP749. And if you're hanging out at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some of our goodies like the full text transcripts, which are searchable, as well as the gold nugget email write-up summaries so you can get just the actionable wisdom that Tom and 700 others had to share in a handy email that go write to you one at a time on the day of the release. We're not going to send you 700 emails. That'd be lame. But you do get access to the whole vault. So you can check those out on demand at your leisure for all historical episodes. Pretty cool. Let's call the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. And here's some pretty cool stuff about Tom. Thomas Curran is a British Psychological Society chartered social psychologist. His primary area of expertise is the personality characteristic of perfectionism, how it develops, and how it impacts mental health. He's the author of over 30 published papers and book chapters on related topics and has received numerous awards for his scholarship and research. Informed by his research and expertise in data analysis, he has previously lectured to undergraduates in the UK and Australia. He now teaches research methods and statistics units in the Department of Psychological and Behavioral Sciences. Big thanks to Tom for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Tom, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, I, I'm so excited to dig into your wisdom about perfectionism. And, and I think maybe if you could kick us off with what's one of perhaps the most surprising or counterintuitive or extra fascinating discoveries you've made about perfectionism over the years that you've been researching it? Oh, uh, that's a really good question to kick us off. I, I think the most surprising finding that's come out of the work that we've done is that perfectionism has very little correlation with performance. Okay. Neither good nor bad. No, uh, nothing. Okay. Zero percent varies explained. I mean, what we do is we give people questionnaires about their levels of perfectionism, and then we ask them to report 
various types of performance indicators. It might be, I don't know, if we're looking at uh, education, it's GPA, or if, if we're in work, it'd be uh, manager ratings or their own bottom line or whatever it might be uh, that we can gather. And when you put all the data together and you look to see if there's an association, what we typically find is that there isn't one. And that was really surprising to me. And that's a consistent finding, by the way, it's something that's found across many, many studies. It's not just one study, but many. Hmm. Uh, because when you think about how much perfectionism energizes behavior, keeps us moving forward, I suppose, it's really surprising that you don't get the performance benefits from that energy. Yeah, that's that's a head scratcher. I cannot begin to guess as to why that is. Can you? <laughs> so there's a couple of theories. It's a really staggering finding because we do research in perfectionism and, and we kind of had these ideas or preconceptions of what we might find when we do the research. And nevertheless, sometimes these sorts of findings come through consistently that really draw your attention and to ask why, you know, what, what on earth's going on here? So we think two things are going on. The first thing is perfectionists put so much effort in that, that they go above and beyond. And what I mean by that is they kind of reach a zone of diminishing and then inverse returns. So you have this kind of uh, almost like an inverted U relationship between perfectionism and effort where the initial amounts of effort that you put in get parallel returns. So the more you put in, the more you get out. But there comes a point where you kind of start to sacrifice things in your life as you put too much effort in, you tinker, you iterate a bit too much, so it kind of waters down or contaminates the quality of your work. And then reach a point where you're sacrificing so much that actually now any additional effort that you put in is actually impacting on your performance. So you might be tired, you might be lack of uh, social and uh, replenishment, might be poor diet, poor exercise habits or whatever it might be. That These things that have an actual like uh, negative impact on you. So we think something like that might be going on. But there's another, and I think more convincing theory which is essentially that perfectionists actually hold back effort they don't put it forward and that's going to sound mm. counterintuitive but when you think about perfectionism and, and how they're so wrapped up in this this notion that they must succeed and they can't possibly fail then it's the consequences of failure the shame the embarrassment the guilt that they feel that means that the next time they put themselves in that situation, they're going to feel those same emotions. So what you typically see is perfectionists will try really hard on the first attempt, but if they fail, then they hold it back on the second attempt, right, and the third and the fourth attempt, because they don't want to put themselves in the positions where they're feeling those negative emotions. So paradoxically, what we think is going on, and we've done some research to actually show that this is indeed the case, is when they're put in situations of challenge, they tend to withdraw. And so this idea that perfectionism actually creates less effort, not more, is something that we think is probably behind that finding. But it's a really interesting finding. Well, yes, indeed. Well, so, and that, I think your theories, not that my opinion matters <laughs> to you about your theories, but yeah, that makes some sense, uh, says yeah. Pete, the podcaster. <laughs> so you got that going for you, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, well, well, maybe then. Before we get too deep in here, we should probably have an operational definition that we're using here for perfectionism, perfectionist. Uh, how do you define it? How do we know if we are one? So perfectionism is at root an idea, a sense and a belief that we're imperfect. And I think that's probably the best place to start with perfectionism. So how, how, how much can you tolerate showing imperfections to the world? Some people can tolerate a lot of that. They don't really mind. Some people find that really tough. And they don't have much tolerance for that. And so the first thing to say is that if you think about perfectionism from that kind of deficit mindset, that idea that I'm flawed and therefore I don't want to reveal those flaws to the world, then 
there's a certain spectrum to that kind of belief and you can have a lot of it or you can have a little bit of it or you can be more or less in the middle you know mo- most of us have some of it right like we don't we're not we don't totally you know want to completely uh, reveal all of our flaws defects and uh, imperfections in the world but as i say some people are much more much less tolerant of that and some people are a little bit more tolerant and some people are more in the middle so that's the first thing to say about perfectionism which really kind of starts at this deficit belief and then it reveals itself in many different ways. So you have uh, self-perfectionism, so this kind of need to be perfect. I need to be perfect, and I need to shoot for excessively high goals. But it's not just personal, uh, personal uh, characteristic. It's also a sense that other people expect me to be perfect. So there's a social element. So other people and the, and the environment more broadly expects me to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, they're judgmental. And the third part of perfectionism we tend to see is perfection directed outwards onto others, right? So from this deficit mindset... We, we project our own imperfections and the, our own need to be perfect onto other people. So I need you to be perfect. And if you're not, I'm high, harsh and judgmental. So from that deficit standpoint, you see a number of different characteristics and we call them self, social and other. And together, those are what we believe are, I guess, encompassing perfectionist characteristics. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I find intriguing is, I guess... When it comes to perfectionism, I have it in very specific domains or arenas as opposed to Mm. universally. For example, if I guess it's like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the utmost. You know, so if I'm if I'm looking at heart rate variability biofeedback training, Tom, by golly, I'm going to get all the gadgets (laughs) and find the most (laughs) perfect Residence frequency for my breathing to uh, okay. to check it out. Or if we're going to publish a podcast episode, then by golly, I would I would like the audio to be you know hey in a way there's no such thing as perfect audio, but I would like any like puffs of breath, like I want that totally eliminated and not just like mostly eliminated. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. I want it if you eliminated it any more it would be unnaturally weird and freakish. So I guess I've got some of those in particular domains. What kind of language would you put to that in, in social psychology land? I mean, that's, what you're saying there is, is absolutely correct and it's what most people feel, right? Like, so we know that people are perfectionistic about at least one or two things in their lives, right? Not everything. Uh, everybody has things that they're passionate about. Everyone has a kind of idealized image of themselves. We're not, we're not all the same. You know, some people want to be the perfect teacher. Some people want to be the perfect boss. Some people want to be the perfect parent. Some people want to be the perfect professor. Myself, mm-hmm. I fail miserably, but I try. In our mind, in our mind's eye, we have these kind of ideals that we hold dear and the, of the person that we feel like we should be in those domains. And I think that's very common, very consistent. So perfectionism is a broad perfectionist tendency, but then within that, there are different domains in which perfectionism reveals itself. Um, those domains depend, I guess, on our own identity and the, the things that we, we each hold dear. Mm-hmm. And so you say just about all of us have at least a, a dose of, of perfectionism going. Is that fair to say? Or do we have a rough statistical breakdown of how many people qualify as perfectionists? We don't have a statistical breakdown, but it's fair to say that this is a spectrum. And I don't like to think about it in terms of a dichotomy, i.e. you're a perfectionist and you're not a perfectionist, right? I think like ev- anything, and this, this this includes all sorts of psych- psychological characteristics and disorders, so there's no kind of 
there's a kind of hard and fast cutoff. I think some some people have a little, some people have a lot, some people, most people are more or less in the middle, and we all kind of vary around that mean. And so perfectionism in that sense is something that most of us, if if not all of us, have have at least a little bit of, right? And we know that from from large-scale research projects where we find that most people don't score the very lowest on a scale. There's a, there's a little bit in there, even if it's not much. And that can that can spread all the way up to the very top in the scale and it can, um, as I said, it can fall somewhere in the middle. So I like to think about perfection as a spectrum, as something that at some level we can all identify with. And depending on where are you are on the spectrum depends on how much of an impact it has on our lives. And for this deficit belief about ourselves, can you give us some example verbiage to that in terms of like, I believe that I, like fill in the blank there, like what what does that deficit belief kind of sound like in words? I believe I'm not enough. I'm not enough, like broadly. But how many times do you hear that? I mean, I see that every day in my my job as as tutor and uh, mentor to many young people. It's sense that no matter what I do, it's not enough, right? There's still something that can be improved. There's more growth to have, there's more improvement to make, there's more development to undergo. And at some level, I am flawed and I am defective or I'm not good enough at calculus or I can't give presentations particularly well or I'm not very good socially in social situations. There's all sorts of there's sorts of areas of our lives where we introspect on and we tell ourselves that we're just simply not enough. And so when I say that perfections really begins there, it's what I mean. It's just, it's rooted in that sense that I'm not enough. It's that rooted in that sense that I mean, broadly, really, what we're talking about here is, is, is relational needs. So I'm not enough to be accepted. I'm not enough to matter. I'm not enough to be loved or approved of. Mm-hmm. And that's really like where it's, if you really want to get a really perfection, that's where it starts. And these, you know, all of these issues around, oh, don't give very good presentations are really issues of everyone's going to think that, uh, you know, that was a terrible presentation and everybody's going to have a, a negative uh, view of me as a result of that presentation, right? So when we're talking about, issues around I'm not a good presenter, what we're really talking about is worries about how other people will receive it and whether they have, will they well throw shade, so to speak, mm-hmm. over those performances. So that's what I mean by deficit, I think. Oh, that's very clear and powerful. Thank you. And and so, well, it doesn't feel great <laughs> uh, being in that zone of, of belief and, and imagining the negative consequences and ramifications of, of showing what I can do to a group of people and them finding it to be inadequate. That's a bummer. And, and so at the same time, though, if we think about people who, who do want to learn and grow and improve and get better, like what is the happy articulation of one's belief about oneself that, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty swell fundamentally, uh, but boy, I sure do have a lot to learn and want to develop in these key skill areas. That was a lot of words. Is there a, a more succinct term or articulation of, of that belief that is, it's enough, but it's also striving? Well, here's the thing, right? We've got to make a distinction. That's the first thing to say, right? Like, so perfectionism is rooted in a deficit thinking that I'm not enough. And so everything from that point onwards is personal. So if we make a mistake, it's personal. If we slip up uh, uh, on a presentation, it's personal. It's an indictment on me. Life is one big court of appeal for my flaws. Mm -hmm. And everything that I do is almost apologetic, apologizing for those those things that I know I'm not good enough at, right? That's perfectionism, right? right? Now, the distinction we need to make between that form 
oh, that characteristic, that way of living, that way of existing, and other more very positive ways of existing, ways of living, ways of going through the world, striving, so to speak, things like conscientiousness, things like diligence, meticulousness, exactitude. These are all fantastic things. And, you know, often it's the case that, that people tell me, well, do you not want people to strive? Do you not want excellence? It's not about that. It's not about that at all. Of course, I want people to strive. Of course, I want people to be excellent. But the difference is that those who are not, who are able to to remove the personal from mm. the outcome and see the task as the most important thing to improve. What was happened that was wrong was something I did, not something I am. Okay, I did something wrong. I didn't say a certain phrase, or I, I've coded a piece of code incorrectly. That is an indictment on me as a person. That's just an indictment on some on a mistake I made, right? And there's a very subtle distinction, but those who are able to strive in that way have far greater levels of performance and satisfaction and contentment than those who have uh, high levels of perfectionism for the reason that really everything's personal. Oh, okay. Beautiful. So a, a commitment to healthy excellence is associated with great good outcomes mm. and perfectionism has no correlation whatsoever uh, we learned uh, associated with performance metrics and it sure sounds like it feels bad too in terms of not being pleasant can you paint a picture of some of the other ways that perfectionism is potentially harmful for us in terms of our health or relationships or, or career any particularly spooky bits of research or, or, or numbers that could startle us well, there's a lot of research. I mean, to suggest, we, I mean, we've done so much research and, and certainly I wouldn't take uh, the large credit for a lot. The heavy lifting has been done by others, but across the piece, perfectionism is a very strong and consistent predictor of low self-esteem, cognitive difficulties like rumination and brooding. They tend to self-handicap a lot and procrastinate a lot. Uh, you tend to find positive uh, relationships with things like depressed mood, and uh, low levels of anxiety and at the clinical industries to see more pathological problems, but these are sort of more at the extreme end. I'm thinking more hooks here. If we just sort of start to trend higher on the perfection spectrum, we start to see some of these negative moves come in. So there's a lot of evidence to suggest that, you know, there's a lot of baggage with uh, perfectionism and it's not a particularly enjoyable way to live. Sure. Okay. Well then. What do we do if if listeners are hearing themselves in this conversation like, oh, shoot, yeah, I totally do that and think that and operate that way. And I'd, I'd kind of like to stop. Tom, what's what's our pathway? It's like anything, like changing mindsets like this that are very entrenched. It's, it's not easy. I think that's the first thing to say. And so uh, self-compassion at the outset is really important because breaking down some of these tendencies, and I know this because I'm a perfectionist and I research perfectionism and I teach perfectionism. And I mentor people, young people who are perfectionists, and even I still find it difficult to shake some of the tendencies. So this is something that's easy, but that's not to say that it's impossible, and it's not to say that you can manage the symptoms and alleviate them. So one of the things I would say is, first of all, like a radical redefinition of failure and what it means. So, so failure is not the bogeyman we've mistaken it for. And I think that's the first important thing to say. I know this is very cliched right now and everybody's talking about how, you know, failures should define you. They should, you know, be teachable moments. They should be areas of improvement, growth and development. When I talk about a radical redefinition, I mean a radical redefinition that basically doesn't completely force us to uh, to turn failure always into success or turn failure always into growth and development um, we're going to fail all the time failure is 
just part and parcel of life. It's odds on. Uh, it's a regression to the mean. We're going to fail way more times than we're going to succeed. And I think sometimes we just need to be comfortable sitting with that failure, sitting with the anxiety of that failure and the feelings that it engenders. Uh, let it wash through us as a reminder that we are human and we're fallible. And so I think first and foremost, really, it's a shift in perspective and failure is a big one. And just allowing ourselves to sit next to it is such an important thing. And I know it's difficult. We always want to turn it into something else. But just let, letting it sit there is really important. And I'd also say we have to remember that the environment around us is structured to promote perfectionistic thinking. And a lot of this isn't necessarily our fault. So uh, work structures are organised to prioritise outcomes. Education systems are there to encourage and engender competition and work ethic. Parenting these days is a lot more expectant. There's a lot more pressure on young people to perform and achieve. So as well as being a personal characteristic, it's also a cultural characteristic. And a lot of the time it's important to recognise that it's not your fault. There's a cultural context to the way you feel. So also I think that's important. It's all, it's all bound up in this kind of self-compassion element that taking the personal responsibility off yourself and recognizing that there's a, you know, it's a bigger picture is, is also crucial. Um, so I'd say for me, those are the kind of, those are the kind of key messages that I normally give to young people. And I try to focus them in on, on what they can do, what's in their control. So things like not looking at grades, not looking at performance metrics, just focusing on feedback, uh, focusing on the task, right? Where did where did you go wrong in the task? Not where did you go wrong as a person and how can it be fixed and what can we do to improve? And seeing these things not necessarily as things that should be catastrophic, but actually things that are really important feedback and information to help us learn and develop, uh, irrespective of what the grade is at the end of the day. So I think like for me anyway, those are the main those are the main things that I, I would say. Okay, cool. Well, and, and could you share with us perhaps a story of, of someone who was able to make a turnaround and what they did and their before and their journey and their after? There's many, many uh, students and young people who who have come with, began the university journey, you know, unable to even to open. <laughs> you mark their work and they're unable to open it. You'll meet them and, and you say, how did you get on? And they say, well, I haven't opened it yet. I can't do it. So those, those, you know, that kind of paralysis, that crippling fear of what's behind the curtain and, and how, they, how, how they're going to interpret that. As a, and again, it's all about the personal, right? Like there wouldn't be these concerns if it was just about the task itself because it's a personal element. That's why people are so uh, reluctant and scared. And I think breaking those, those things down is, is really, really important. So I, I love, particularly in first year, when, when the uh, focus is on development, we'll often say that, you know, this mark doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things and it's much more important about feedback and it's really important you get your feedback now because as soon as you get it, soon you can implement change. And if you don't, you can't move forward. So, you know, there's a lot of mentoring around rationalizing, rationalizing how, how those feelings are, are holding, are ultimately holding us back. They're not, they're not helping us to move forward. And I've seen many students, you know, over the years through a process of just slow counseling, have improved their have improved their perfectionism and and they're able to you know embrace mistakes and finally open feedback as soon as they received it rather than being petrified. So there's a lot of I guess broad success stories in that in that sense. I mean, my own story is is one of high level of perfectionism leading to burnout in, early in my career, slowing down, focusing on things that I can control, and having had had more success with that approach, you know, letting being able to let things go. 
than before. So it can be done, and there are definitely uh, there, there there's definitely uh, hope, but it is hard. And I'm curious: are there any particular tools, mantras, core mo- mottos, beliefs, words of hope we cling to? What are some of the top resources that can help us out if we're either both acutely when we're directly in the grips of it, as well as long-term in terms of, of building our mindsets associated with this stuff? I think the, the first one that's very practical is getting things done and, and worrying about what latest the kind of idea that done's better than perfect. Mm-hmm. One of the things I see a lot, and particularly when, you know, it's particularly when tasks are very complicated and there's a lot of creativity that's required and a lot of deep thought, um, students are reluctant or not reluctant they find it difficult to start starting is the hardest part so getting just things written down is really tough so I'll often tell them and this, this, I'm sure this, this is also an exercise that people can do in the workplace too but I'll often say like you know in order to get started the first thing to do is really just to get writing and it doesn't matter what it's writing about write a letter to your mom write a letter to your boyfriend or girlfriend write a letter to your dog it doesn't matter just get some write, some written stuff down. I mean, there's a benefit if it's a lovely message to your mum because you can send it to her afterwards. Mm-hmm. But do something, get started. And it doesn't have to necessarily be the thing that you're, you're doing in that moment. But it, but the important thing is to build momentum. And momentum is really crucial in throughput and work. So I often say if you're struggling to get started, which perfectionists do all the time, then done is better than perfect. Get something done. And then use that momentum to push forward with the task. But it's all about getting your head in the mind space. And perfectionists find that in, um, particularly difficult. Uh, the other thing I'd, I'd say is that perfectionists have a lot of irrational types of force. So there's a lot of musts, have to, uh, should. So I must do this. I must do that. I must be this. I must, you know, and there's no kind they don't leave any gray area or ambiguity for any deviation from that path. It has to be a certain way. And so I would, I would say that when those thoughts start to intrude, it's all, it's quite important to write them down. So I often, you know, write, if, if I think it's something irrational, I'm thinking something irrational, I write it down and then I actually grade it on a sort of one to 10, you know, how, how achievable is this thing actually? So it's a kind of it's a kind of self-reflection exercise that allows you to reflect on you, the irrationality of the things that you're thinking. And then from there, okay, so how, what is a much more adaptive way to think about this particular task? Is there a certain message that I want to get across? And it doesn't matter how it's got across. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just, means, it just matters it needs to get across. Is that a much better goal for me rather than to kind of, I must ace it? Right, which leaves mm. no room at all for any deep. So there's those sort of self-reflected things as well that sometimes I recommend to people. Yeah, that's good. Tom, tell us any final do's or don'ts you want to share about perfectionism before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Yeah, so I mean, do embrace failure crucially. Uh, do be kind to yourself. That's also really important, particularly when things don't go wrong. And things what things will go wrong a lot. And sometimes things will go wrong for no reason as well. Like for no good reason, you just failed, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think we leave enough room in, in our mind for this idea that sometimes we're just unlucky. Or sometimes yeah. you know, something happened to us, but it just derailed us. And that wasn't our fault. It just, just so happened that we were unlucky on a particular occasion. So first and foremost, just being aware that the failure is going to happen and, and being prepared and ready for it and not letting it derail us is, is also quite important. Um, a couple of don'ts. Don't get too spogged down in the detail. Sometimes it's important to be meticulous, absolutely. And there are certain tasks and jobs where that's crucial and I wouldn't want to diminish it. But also, sometimes it's the case 
Uh, you have deadlines. You need to get things in because there's the next thing coming. And so making sure that it's good enough and being happy with good enough is important. So try not to, on those particular tasks, get bogged down in the detail, iterate, tinker, because you're only going to contaminate so, and you're only going to get yourself behind. So I think I think for me that, that would be a big one um, is, is to focus on the bigger picture. All right. Lovely. Now can you hear a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? For me, there's many researchers and philosophers and psychoanalysts whose work has, has impacted me quite significantly. But the big one, I think, is, is, is psychoanalyst Karen Horney. And uh, Karen Horney taught us very vividly about uh, perfectionism and how it's, it's really about kind of shooting for an idealized version of, of ourselves. One of the things she talks about is how we take on a, we take on a pseudo self and idealized self, and we and we toss aside we toss aside our real selves to chase this idealized version of who we feel of who we feel we should be. So I would, I'd probably say Karen Horney's work on uh, moving away from the real from who we really are and trying to chase an idea is, is something that's uh, inspired me. Beautiful. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Um, my favourite study is a really nice study showing how perfectionism makes us highly vulnerable to stress. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's the other thing about perfectionism. When we run into, encounter uh, stressful situations, perfectionists tend to be really, really reactive in those situations. And so one experiment that springs to mind is there's a study that just basically just puzzle task and they, were, and they had people come into the lab, complete a puzzle task, and they measured their levels of perfectionism and after the uh, first go at this task, they told them that they'd failed, that basically they hadn't done very well and that, that, he, that they'd failed. And then... <laughs> be, imagine it'd be fun to be those researchers. Yeah. Hey, man, you really blew it. What can yeah. I say? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and also they told them before they went in, there was a really easy task to do as well. Oh, so boy. Sort of com- okay. Compounded this. Compounded. Basically, what they're trying to do is invoke a sense of acute stress, acute... Uh, sense that you know I failed. I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they uh, took various different measures of how they felt in that moment: anxiety, guilt, shame. And they found that people who scored higher in perfectionism have especially elevated levels of shame, guilt, and and diminished levels of pride after after that stressful situation. And then they asked them to do it again. And what's really interesting is once once you ask people to do it again, the, the people who are high in perfectionism just don't try. Because you can't try it at something you didn't fail. So you'd see their effort just fall off a cliff. Mm. Whereas people who are not perfectionistic, they actually maintain their effort on the second go. So that's, that's showing you really, that study showing you both sides, like how yeah. how much negative emotion there is in perfectionism, but also the impact it has on performance. And uh, how about a favorite book? Uh, my favorite book. Again, we'll go back to Karen Horney. Our Inner Conflicts is a really important book. So is uh, The Neurotic Personality of Our Time. Both crucial texts in terms of understanding why culture creates in us a need to be perfect, a need to shoot for a socially accepted ideal. So I'd say that those two are probably my favorite books, but that does change a lot (laughs) the more I read. (laughs) I gotcha. And a favorite tool, something you used to be asked about your job. A favorite tool would be my pen. Mm -hmm. One of the things I, I really don't like is typing or reading things from uh, screens and so I, mean, I still use a lot of printouts and i still use the humble pen to highlight and spot important pieces of information in it, whether it be a research uh, paper or a piece of data 
Uh, so definitely my, my pain because it helps me identify things that are needed. Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit, something you do that helps you be awesome at your job. I, start, I try to suck at things quite a lot. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I play guitar, which I really enjoy. That's kind of my creative outlet. But one of the things I can't do is sing. And I got really hung up on that because as you master things, you get quite skilled. And I feel like I'm a relatively good guitarist, but it's so frustrating that I can't sing. Like I can't actually put that that, that uh, skill into some practical use. And so that used to really frustrate me until I realized actually like just sitting there and embracing the fact that I suck at singing and sitting with those anxieties and emotions of sucking singing is actually quite healthy. Mm. So I think a, ha- a habit for me is, is, uh, is doing things that you suck at because it really does help you perfectionally. Yeah. And do, do you amp up the therapeutic benefit by doing them publicly or is that counterproductive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do it in front of my friends and family. That's often very frustrating and annoying for them. But, you know, like it's helping me. That's what I try to tell them. This is therapy for me. So. That's kind of them. And is there a key nugget you share that folks remember? They quote back to you like, oh, Professor Tom, you said this. I think a lot of the feedback that I get is is around my perspective on failure and and my perspective on uh, radical acceptance of failure. Mm. I, think a lot, I think a lot of people re- remember that because uh, essentially, you know, it's kind of hard these days. It's kind of hard these days to not continually think that we need to recycle failure. So a lot of my lectures and a lot of things I teach young people is actually we don't need to recycle failure all the time. Sometimes you can just let it sit with you and sometimes it's much healthier just to let it sit with you. So I think that would be the thing. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? We've got a book coming out next spring. You can go to my Twitter page. We've got all sorts of resources on my website, thomascurra.co.uk. Animation, we just done some animations on Perfection mm. Development too. So there's all sorts of stuff you can find on my website or, or my Twitter account. Cool. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? My challenge would be to be bold, be courageous, not be afraid, mm-hmm. and push yourself. Push the boundaries of what you think is possible. Push yourself into uncomfortable situations where there is a, there's a chance that perhaps you might slip up, or there's a chance that you might perhaps be criticized. But just try and be brave enough to sit and, and let those anxieties and emotions wash through, because the more you do it, the easier it will become. Because the more you push yourself into uncomfortable, but difficult, but necessarily growth uh, positions, and the more you'll develop, the more you'll grow, and the better you'll do. So that would be my advice. Beautiful. Tom, this has been such a treat. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Pete. Appreciate that. Boy, just hearing that one of the top researchers in the field of perfectionism has exhaustively looked at all kinds of stuff and concluded that there is just about no correlation between perfectionism and performance, I think is eye-opening. And really, if you have any resistance, I guess what I'm thinking is sometimes I think we hold on to perfectionism. I do. It's like, well, no, I, it's excellence and I like excellence. And so, no, this is an asset for me and this uh, fuels me. But no, no. In fact, it does not. And it's really indeed potentially counterproductive in some ways for happiness and does not link to performance. And thusly, we got to really examine, is this about a lack, belief, a deficit situation going on? This reminds me of episode 278 with Morton Hansen, who had the mantra in sharing the critical factors separating high and low performers, do less than obsess. So it's not about being perfectionistic everywhere, but rather 
only zeroing in on a couple super critical things that you've identified in advance and are in full control of and recognize strategically that this is an area where we are going to go for extra super excellence because that is differentiating, it's important, it makes all the difference, there's a good payoff there, as opposed to indiscriminately everything I produce, every document, (laughs) every email, or everything within a zone I have not predetermined to be strategically vital needs to be perfect because that is not so handy. Again, great stuff from Tom. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP749. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.